everyone, and welcome to the Uncorked Corner podcast, where we cover the full spread of food and beverage industry topics. My name is Bianca, PR and marketing professional by day and food and wine connoisseur by night. And my name is Nick, an accountant with a passion for barbecue, beer, and whiskey. Today, we welcome Chris Takash of the Malden-based Idle Hands Craft Ales. In this episode, Chris tells us about how he got into the brewing space, how he landed just north of Boston, and gives us a taste of their Brocktoberfest brew, plus what the name is all about. If you enjoy this podcast, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to us. With that said, let's welcome Chris to the show. everyone. Today we're excited to welcome Chris from Idle Hands uh, in Malden, Massachusetts. So we'd love to get started by having Chris tell us a bit about himself and how he got started with the company. Hi everyone. Uh, as Bianca said, my name is Chris. Um, I am the owner of Idle Hands Craft Ales. Uh, Idle Hands has been around for nine years at this point. Um, and how I got into the business. Um, I come from a home brewing background. So I was a home, home brewer for Oh, I don't know, uh, 18, 17, 18 years prior to starting um, the business. Um, professionally, I was in software development uh, prior to, um, you know, becoming a brewer. And, uh, you know, I basically got tired of sitting behind a desk all day long and working for somebody else and decided to take a passion and, and turn it into a livelihood. So uh, nine years later, here we are and um, we're still, still around. Nice. And that's funny. We actually have someone that we recently interviewed from Island Dog Brewing up here in South Portland, Maine, that has a very similar background. He was in IT and then uh, he got into home brewing. We just did a home brewing episode with him recently that'll be coming out soon. So it seems like a lot of people start off at the home brewing for a while and flow into it as a sort of second career, um, which is a really awesome thing to go into. I think it's a pretty common, uh, common occurrence with, um, you know, with, with the smaller craft breweries, at least, um, you know, it's you either come from a brewery where you worked before and start something or you build it from the ground up. Um, and uh, we chose the, the second part. Yeah. And one thing our audience hasn't heard much about is your unique credentials with the BJCP. Can you give us some background on what that's all about and what you've done with the title? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not too involved with it anymore because I don't have the time with it um, to, to dedicate to it. But, you know, Prior to starting Idle Hands, um, you know, I was really into home brewing. Um, you know, it all started back in, in college when my uncle got me a kit uh, for Christmas one year. And, you know, it was something that followed through, you know, my professional career in life. Um, and I just was kind of in the background of things. And then, you know, um, I started getting a little bit more serious about the brewing side of things and wanted to learn a little bit more about it. And so I got into the BJCP program, which is um, basically a, the beer judge certification program and um, used that, you know, I got involved with our local homebrew club um, and, and BJCP and used that as really a way to kind of help educate myself, I think, to a lot of the various, um, at least traditional styles at the time. Um, and so I got, you know, into judging beer, um, and you know participating a lot in uh, homebrew competitions and stuff like that so um, I think it was a great great education um, and it was certainly something that you know you can do on your own um, as long as you you know you find the right group of people to kind of um, 
I guess, help push each other along. Um, and I, I would say, you know, if you have a local homebrew club, that's a, a great place to start. And usually you'll find some pretty passionate people there that will allow you to, uh, or will help you kind of, I guess, on your journey um, to kind of your, yeah, to learn more and more about um, what quality beer is. So that's funny. So Bianca has a background in taking some of the small A courses, and I've always been looking for something for beer and whiskey are my two passions. So I didn't really know there was this whole beer jug certification program. Would you sort of equate that to the small A program for wine? Um, I think it's a little bit different. Um, I, I feel like maybe, I mean, I don't, I don't know a ton about the small A programs, but I'm a, a feeling that those are more geared towards consumer oriented um, like presentation of the wine and understanding of the wine where the BJCP programs are more along the lines of, um, I guess, critically judging a beer um, and making sure that it adheres to certain style characteristics. Um, so I don't know if they necessarily line up and, and Bianca, you feel free to, to correct me. Um, again, I'm not super educated on, on what, I know what a small year is, I just don't know what is involved with that kind of program. Yeah, I'm sure there are similar beer programs to the sommelier program. I know um, there is this very focused on like, it's very service oriented and, and there's a lot more consumer facing, um, as you were saying. So it's a little different, but, you know, I think a lot of the time you end up falling into those judging type positions just with the experience and with the credentials, um, especially in the wine world. Yeah. Um, and what's yeah. the process for getting into that program and really kind of working your way through that? What did you are there classes in person that you go and you take where you get to sample these different beers or? Yeah, I mean, the the way I went about it was we formed a study group and within our homebrew club um, of people that were serious about taking the exam. And so, you know, if you go to the BJCP website, they do a pretty good job of kind of giving you all the material and kind of what the exam is about at least and what, what it covers. Um, and so you can take that material and break it up into chunks and whatever and, and um, study it with, you know, different people. And the way we did it was, you know, we would every week, I don't know if it was every week we met or maybe every couple of weeks that we met, but we basically would, um, you know, take a couple styles and uh, learn about them. Somebody would um, present, present a, you know, create a presentation. They would run through the presentation and kind of be like the subject matter expert of that, of that particular style or particular styles. Um, and kind of help the other people learn a little bit about it. Um, you know, and there's other material that's in the exam too. Um, and uh, so, you know, it, it took us, I don't know, maybe six months um, combined to kind of really get through all the material and, and feel comfortable enough where we could start taking the exam. Um, and the exam's not easy. It's, um, it was pretty brutal back, you know, when, when we took it or when I took it back in, I think it was 2009-ish time frame, um, maybe even earlier than that. Um, and I know it's the format has changed since then, but, um, you know, it was uh, like four hours or three hours of kind of written essay type of questions, um, a little bit of multiple choice, but a lot of it was really kind of, um, you know, short answer or essay questions. And then there was a, uh, a sampling um, part to it too, where they would, give you, you know, what they call classics, you know, some classic representations of styles and you'd have to judge those styles and they would throw in, you know, a beer that was kind of out of style or had some, you know, flaws in it and stuff like that. And you'd have to pick out those, um, those flaws. And so it was a pretty comprehensive exam. Um, and it, you know, it, 
once you take that exam, they then send it off to a, a judge or a grader um, that then grades it and it takes a while for you to get back because they literally have to read through all of these short answers and essay type of questions and then, you know, judge whether, you know, you, uh, you answered it um, appropriately or not. Yeah, it's really interesting. It definitely seems very involved to get into that, but it's good if you're going to be judging up other people's beers, you should definitely know them and really be able to do that objectively. Um, yeah. To get out of that and out of your personal background and more into the brewery, what was the spark behind really starting Idle Hands Craft Ales? I mean, it's, there's really two things. You know, I, um, you know, my background is in engineering, um, and I, I graduated from the University of New Hampshire with a degree in civil engineering, and so. I did that just a little bit out of school, um, realized I ended up hating it, um, and then fell back on some computer skills that I had picked up and, and really got into software development. And then really, you know, that was a, a good part of, you know, 10 years of my life. Um, I got a little bit disenchant disenchanted with kind of software development at the time and kind of doing the work that I was doing. And so I went back to school to get my MBA. And, uh, Graduated from Babson um, with a degree um, that was really heavily focused on entrepreneurship. And, and so while I didn't jump into, you know, the entrepreneur game immediately, I kind of went back into software engineering, <laughs> oddly enough, um, to kind of really, I, I guess, recoup, you know, some funds to some degree of how much I spent on school. But, um, you know, it was kind of always in the back of my mind that, you know, I spent some time in school kind of studying all this stuff that maybe I should, you know, start to use it. And then got to the point where I was just, you know, done with kind of working for somebody else and, and doing software development and, um, and engineering and just decided to, you know, again, take that passion that had really been a big part of my adult life and, um, you know, turn it into something that was going to be a little bit more meaningful um, to me and my family and, and really build something from the ground up. Um, so, you know, it was combining a passion of, of beer and homebrewing and then, you know, with something that, um, you know, I, I wanted to do anyways, which was really build something from the ground up and create this, create this business. So it was, you know, it, it was, I guess, um, a good mingling of, you know, two, two threads that were kind of going on in my life at the time. Nine years later, you're certainly doing a great job. We saw that you were labeled as one of the 2020 best brewers in, uh, or the 2020 best brewer <laughs> from Boston Magazine. Yeah, uh, no, that was, specifically that was... highlighted your sour beer series. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, that was, um, that was a great honor um, and completely unexpected. There's a lot of great breweries in the Boston area. And I was uh, super, super excited when we learned about that. Um, I thought it was a joke. Actually, at the beginning, one of my um, one of my employees sent me a text message, you know, with "Hey, we're we're Boston's best brewery 2020." I'm like, "No, come on, stop pulling my leg." <laughs> um, and then I finally, you know, saw the article. I'm like, I was like, "Wow, this is this is awesome." Yeah, it's it's definitely an honor, um, especially only having been in business for nine years. So you're really making a name for yourself. Um, and we have one of the. We have the four seam, which I know they called out there, um, but kind of going back since we haven't really talked about the styles that you make, the style ales that you make, why did you decide to take inspiration from the Belgian and German style ales instead of some of the more local choices? You know, um, you have to rewind back to, you know, 2010, you know, when we, when we envisioned Idle Hands. Um, and back at that point, you know, there was this, I, I want to say, uh, they were really kind of, there was the 
the rise of like Belgian ales in popularity. Um, and, and so at the time, we were bootstrapping the business and we started off as a very small nano operation with, you know, some pretty rudimentary equipment. And so, you know, I, at that point I was really, really into Belgian beers and, and with the equipment that I had and the, and the styles that I had been homebrewing and, you know, my, my excitement for those, for those type of beers kind of led us in that, that direction. And so, you know, when we started brewing, we were hundred percent Belgian focused. And so we were brewing, you know, very Abbey-centric beers, like, you know, doubles and triples and, um, you know, singles and, you know, some other stuff like that. And then we eventually kind of started spreading our wings a little bit um, once we kind of went through our first upgrade of our system. Um, and that's how the German lagers, um, you know, came into, into being. So, you know, we spent about uh, three, let me think. Yeah, about three, maybe two and a half, three years on the nano system. Um, all the while, well, not all the while, but most of that time I was I was doing it on a part-time basis. So I was still doing software engineering and then um, doing the nano brewing thing, um, you know, at nights and weekends and, and everything like that. But, you know, we upgraded equipment. Um, once I realized that, you know, this was going to be a viable business and, you know, I either you know, needed to start spending more time paying attention to it and growing it or, you know, do or decide to, you know, shut it down um, because where we were just wasn't going to be sustainable. Um, so we, we upgraded equipment, brought in a five barrel brew house and some 10 barrel tanks. And this is obviously more professional stuff. So um, we were able to really um, brew a lot of other styles that um, allowed us, you know, to take a full advantage of the equipment that we had. So I had spent a few um, winters over in, in uh, Germany and Austria going skiing on ski vacations and really fell in love with fresh lagers, um, fresh German lagers, and, um, you know, wanted to kind of bring that back to the U.S. because the stuff that you get over here from Germany is it's um, just a, a shadow of its former self um, when you actually taste it fresh, you know, um, over in Europe. So um, that's how the, the German lagers really came to be a big part of our portfolio is just me wanting to kind of replicate that characteristic here in the US. And uh, so we, we brewed our first lager back in, I think it was like January of 2013, possibly, something like that. It was in, definitely in 2013. And it's just kind of, you know, grown as part of a big part of our portfolio now. And with your tap room and brewery, I know I've driven by, I haven't actually been inside myself, but do you really envision that when you were starting the brewery? Is that being the primary place that it was going to be consumed or did you want to have more of a distribution mindset where people could get your cans and take them home? Um, again, the, the landscape was a lot different back in 2011 when we started. The idea of a, a brewery tap room didn't exist or couldn't exist in Massachusetts as the way the laws were written. Um, but that, you know, it soon changed after we started, maybe like a year to, you know, 18 months. Um, but at that point, we'd kind of already built out our, our brewery and that the, there was no place for us to put a tap room. Nor if anybody had ever been to our Everett facility, would they really want to spend time there drinking beers, even though, you know, Night Shift was like next door to us. So, and they had a, a thriving tap room, which to this day, I'm still really surprised that anybody would want to spend any significant amount of time in that location. 
Um, and it, it, it certainly wasn't what I wanted to present as kind of what Idle Hands was about anyway. So um, we originally envisioned it being just a, a tasting room where you'd be able to taste some beers and then eventually buy a growler or a bottle or whatever to take home. Um, and then when we upgrade or you know moved to Malden we had a brand new facility and at that point you know I, I really saw the writing on the wall of how important a tap room was um, and spent significant amount of time making sure that we had a tap room in place where we'd be able to actually serve our beers on site and have people come and, and try them um, as they should be you know uh, should be drank so um, I, I think the tap room to us, it's a big part of our business, obviously less part of our business right now, but, um, you know, it'll eventually return and, uh, you know, we thoroughly enjoy having, you know, that one-on-one, -on -one, you know, customer interaction that we can have and, and really help people uh, understand the beers that we're, we're brewing um, and, and enjoying and, and hopefully, you know, give them some little bit more information about those specific styles that we're, we're really interested in making. And now when it comes to that tap room located in Malden, is there any particular reason why that's where you chose? Prefer city and region? Um, we started off in Everett and, you know, Malden's really the town next door to it. Um, I've always felt closer to, I guess, the north side of Boston than any other part of the Boston area. So, you know, when we were looking for new locations, um, we really concentrated on, you know, those towns that were, you know, really in that kind of vicinity. Um, and Malden kind of just popped up as a, kind of an up and coming place. You know, I, I wanted our brewery to be as, as tea accessible or, you know, mass transit accessible as possible, um, just because it, it made more sense for, um, you know, our consumer base uh to be able to ride public transportation to and from the brewery and so you know we spent a lot of time in Malden looking for locations and, and the one that we ended up settling on is couldn't be any better you know it is literally a three minute walk from the Malden Center T-stop and so it is like you know it's great I wish it was a little bit bigger but um you know it's, right now it's just it's perfect for us yeah, and for anyone north of Boston, you guys have a great little outdoor patio that I saw when I was there. Um, it's really a great spot. We, we're from Melrose, so we're very, very close to uh, where the tap room is. Ah, nice, yeah. Neighbors on the other side. Um, cool, so you guys have a, a food menu there as well. Are you still doing that right now? And, and what do you have uh, for people who are visiting the tap room? So um, we're only allowing service on our patio right now um, just because of the COVID concerns um and we we've pared everything down you know before you know our, our patio would be you know jammed you know on a nice you know warm summer evening and stuff like that but you know we obviously have had to change those plans a little bit so we have six tables with four seats at each table so max of 24 people you know really on our patio which makes a nice um spread out you know uh scenario so um, we're not allowing people in the tap room in, inside the building necessarily. Obviously, you can go in there to go to the bathroom and stuff like that, but we're not seating people in there. Um, and uh, I don't know. We'll we'll see what happens as the weather gets colder. We'll have to come up with another plan. But um, right now, yeah, you can visit us, hang out in our tap room or on our, on our patio, and enjoy the beers that we that we have available. 
And we saw that the Brocktoberfest was just released today, which is one of the beers that we, or the ales that we have here. Um, is that something that you do every year or is that new for fall 2020? We've been brewing Brock for, since 2015. So it's named after my son who was born in 2014. Um, so yeah, so it's been 20, like this, no, maybe we brewed it the first time in 2014. That probably would have been right, 2014. Yeah, um, now it's, we brew it every year. It's, it's, it's one of my favorite beers that we make. Um, and it's, you know, a lot of our, um, our regulars are, are big fans of it too. So, um, you know, we, we brew more and more of it every year and it seems like we can't make enough. So, um, you know, it's, I'm excited to, to see people drink it for sure. As yeah, so every year, does it just come around this time, this fall season, or do you yeah, ever drop yeah. it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's our fest lager, right? So it's designed to, you know, be that, that Oktoberfest type of beer. Um, and generally, we have a party, you know, a Oktoberfest party, um, you know, use the second, second week in September, um, but that's not happening this year uh, for obvious reasons. But um, yeah, and it's usually just a big blowout, you know, that we have and people drinking tons of Brocktoberfest and having a good time and Oompa music and the whole, the whole nine yards. So, but next year, next year it'll come back. <laughs> That's awesome. What are the uh, primary, like, what is the flavor difference in that one? Is it like centered around fall flavors or is it just brewed differently? No, it's just, just, uh, it's a traditional, um, you know, Munich styled Oktoberfest that you'd, you know, you'd find over in the tents over in Munich um, celebrating there. So it's, you know, it's got a little bit more kind of caramel sweetness you'd find um, than some of our other beers, um, it's, you know, five and a half percent. So you can kind of, you know, drink a fair amount of it without getting too trashed. Um, uh, and it's, you know, it's just a prototypical, uh, you know, Munich, Munich lager, or not Munich lager, but um, Oktoberfest lager. Nothing special about it. And tell us a little bit about the four seam that you went. I know Bianca's got that one there with her too. Yeah, four seam. I mean, that's, you know, that's probably the beer that we're best known for at this point. Um, you know, we, oddly enough, when I, when I first started Idle Hands, I, I always said we would never brew an IPA. Um, but, you know, it's as time, things change and the markets change. And so, you know, when we launched, um, launched the Malden facility with a tap room, I knew that we would have to make an IPA. Otherwise people would either not come or they'd come and have one beer and they would leave because there's such a percentage of craft beer drinkers that are just, that's either all they drink or all they really care about. So we basically, um, there's a series of beers that we call change up, which are always IPAs, which is basically our test bed. Um, and, you know, we used change up to basically narrow in on what our New England IPA was going to be. So um, I think we brewed six batches, six different iterations of change up before we really landed on what we wanted forcing to be. Um, and all those, you know, those iterations were either playing with different malt profiles, different hops, different hopping techniques, um, different yeast strains, you know, a bunch of different kind of um, combinations of, uh, of ingredients and techniques um, to get to the point where we were super happy with what we wanted. Um, and so once we had kind of gathered all that data, 
we were able to like, you know, put it all together and say, all right, this is, this is going to be our, you know, our flagship New England IPA that we're going to, you know, rest our hat on. And, um, you know, it's, it's done really well. It's by far the biggest seller in the brewery, the one that we make the most beer of in the brewery and the one that kind of keeps the lights on in the brewery. So it's, uh, it's been a great beer for us. Yeah, it's such a popular style and I don't think there's any style of beer that's I guess more closely related to craft beer it's the first thing that'll pop in most people's minds when you hear about it so it's important to have a good one in the lineup do you yeah. find that the flavors in it really sort of come back to your passion behind those Belgian and German style ales or is it like a true you know sort of bright hoppy citrusy doing I mean it is you know it's mostly citrus juice and tropical fruit like notes to it so i don't wouldn't wouldn't say it's it's close to any sort of belgian beer that we would have made before um in fact it's not a belgian obviously not a belgian beer at all um you know it's i'm not the the biggest fan of ipas to in all 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 honesty um i will drink our lagers all day long but you know, it's, it would be foolish of me not to brew an IPA. I would just be hamstringing myself, um, you know, without having one in the market. So, you know, it's not that we, you know, it's not that we're going to brew a half-assed one. You know, we're going to brew the best one that we possibly can um, and make it as good as we can. But in the end, it's not really a beer that I'm personally super passionate about. For our listeners who aren't as familiar with beer, what is it that makes um, an IPA different than, you know, some of your other ales and lagers and just regular beer? <laughs> yeah, so uh, the IPA um, style is really known for the hops um, and going into, um, you know, the different style, the different types of hops that you go in there, that you put in there, and it's coaxing flavors from hops where some of the other styles of beer are more focused on the malt aspects of the beer or even the yeast characteristic, um, you know, that the beer uh, will come out in the beer. So um, there's really kind of, I guess, you can think of it as like a three different real flavor um, contributors to a beer. One of it is the yeast that goes in there, which can certainly affect the flavor from, you know, having either a very neutral impact on the beer to something that's either very fruity or spicy. Um, the hops, you know, can impact the flavor as well. Um, and those flavors can range anywhere from kind of woody type of flavors or herbal type of flavors all the way up to what I call bruised tropical fruit type of characteristics. Um, and then the malt, which is basically kind of the, the backbone of every beer, right? So the, the malt um, can either be something that um, adds flavor to the beer in certain ways, whether that's, you know, toasty flavors or caramel flavors or bready flavors or, um, you know, maybe some slight raisiny type of dried fruit type of characteristics. Um, or it can just you kind of stand out of the way, you know, and it really depends on the type of malts that you're using. Um, and so you can combine all three of those to come up with, you know, different styles of beer. Um, and with the IPA, it's definitely more leaning towards the flavor profile of what the hops provide in that beer where, you know, like a like an Oktoberfest lager is more on the opposite spectrum where a lot of those flavor characteristics are coming from the malts that are being used in the process. We saw that you also have an ales for ALS for 2020. 
Uh, is that the first like charity-based ale that you've offered or have you done other partnerships like that? Um, no, we, um, I mean, we've done ales for ALS. I think this is our third year doing ales for ALS. Um, besides that, we've done things for the Black Ale Project, which goes to, you know, veterans causes. Um, you know, we've done, trying to think of some other stuff. Then when we first launched Edgeworth, which is our um, American pills, you know, all the money, um, the first, you know, first year for that, all the money went to um, rehabbing a World War I memorial here in Malden. Um, so, you know, we certainly do some, some charity-based, um, you know, things with our beers, and we're happy to do that. You know, we try to spend as much of the of that stuff as focused as locally as we can obviously ales for als is a little bit different it's a more of a national organization but um it's something that we you know personally or i personally believe in from a family standpoint because we have you know we have a um somebody in our family that has, has been diagnosed with als so it's you know I'm, I'm doing whatever i can you know to kind of help that cause along that's awesome Definitely keep that up. We'll have to give that one a try soon too. Um, just to end this on sort of a fun question before we leave off and uh, sign off. If you could only drink one style of beer for the rest of your life, what would it be? <laughs> um, it's a tough question. Uh, you know, it'd probably be the pills. The pills or other, or some other kind of pale lager. You know, I love um, uh, Hellas, Munich Hellas style lagers. Those are delicious beers. Uh, Munich Dunkels are very good too. So something that's definitely a lager focused, you know, where it's focused on the malt more so than the hops. But yeah, probably my answer. <laughs> good answer. And for people, obviously they can stop in the tap room in Malden. Is there anywhere else they can find your beers in stores or online? Yeah, I mean, we're distributed across Massachusetts. So um, we work with Craft Collective, who's a, a boutique craft, you know, craft focused um, distributor, and they send our beer all over the state. So any place that has a lot of great craft beer, you should be able to find us. And if you don't, ask them to carry us. Um, and they will hopefully bring it in from Craft Collective. Um, we do distribute a little bit in Vermont. Um, but it's, um, you know, we send a pallet of beer up there every, you know, maybe every couple months or something like that. And this year has been a little bit different just because of COVID. Um, but generally, you know, we, we, we were at one point sending a pallet of beer every, every month to six weeks. But it's been a little bit, little bit strange times this year. So it's a little bit less available up there, I would say. And where can our listeners find you online and on social media? So our website is idlehandscraftales.com. Um, social media handles are idlehandsbeer. So uh, we're pretty active on Instagram um, and Twitter and actually Facebook as well. They usually all get posted with the same kind of information. Um, you know, if you were looking to come to the brewery uh, to go to the tap room, um, we do recommend you have reservations at this point just because we have such limited seating. So you can find us on tableagent.com. Just search for Idle Hands Craft Ales and you should be able to give you the, the lowdown of um, the reservation system and stuff like that. So, Awesome. We appreciate having you on tonight and taking the time to talk to us. Uh, I'm looking forward to getting those beers from Bianca and trying them out <laughs> as soon as possible. Uh, You'll see us tagging you on social. Don't worry. Awesome. <laughs> Definitely. Thanks again. Cheers. You're Thank welcome. You. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks, guys.
sure to follow us on social at Uncorked Corner and on the blog at uncorkedcorner.com for a taste of more food and beverage content. And if you enjoyed the show, don't forget to leave a comment, subscribe, rate, and review on whatever podcast platform you prefer. Thanks for listening. Thanks.